Welcome back to another episode of the Next Level Minds podcast. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, this is a podcast dedicated to those who want to reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. Every other week, I'm blessed to sit down with a qualified guest, entrepreneur, content creator, or mover and shaker in their industry and walk through their story of how they have gotten from point A to point B and overcame various adversities along the way. Now, just to reiterate my main goal, which is to impact over 1 million people by helping them reach a next level. So if you have not done this already, take the time to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with a friend, family member, or colleague who you think will get some value from it. Today's guest is Allah Hutchins. He is the author of Cracking the Leadership Code. He is a sought-after speaker, consultant, and leadership trainer. He has worked with over 2,000 groups in 25 different countries, completely changing their workplace culture to reach maximum productivity. We touch on a lot of interesting, just strategic topics here. We talk a lot on leadership principle-centered living, and just proper workplace culture. This is going to be a great one, guys. Just wanted to personally thank each and every one of you for taking the time to tune in to this week's episode of Next Level Minds. And as we like to say here, your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success. Alan, thank you for taking the time, you know, just on the Next Level Minds podcast. I know you're in the Netherlands and time difference and everything, so I really appreciate you taking your time here. Oh, Chris, it is my pleasure to be with you today. I'm really excited for this. Thanks. Yeah, of course. And I know, obviously, this just shows the power of LinkedIn. I know you and I connected on LinkedIn, had some messages, and, and you actually reached out to me, so I'm really happy that you did that. And you're most welcome. Sure. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, first and foremost, before we get started, how, how is everything going in the Netherlands right now? You know, as good as can be expected for us, you know, the Netherlands is a very independent country and culture. And so there's definitely a lockdown, but it's not an extreme lockdown. So right now, spring is in the air. The tulip fields are blooming. So I'm grateful to be here right now. Things seem relatively calm. So thanks for asking. Yeah, of course. I know before we started recording, you mentioned you just did a nice bike ride. Yeah, I don't have a car here. It's one of the things I've been over here for about 18 months. And my probably my favorite thing is the fact that not needing a car and being able to cycle from place to place. It's all built for cycling on a human scale. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah I, I, uh, it's funny you brought that up too. Yesterday, my, my girlfriend and I was, you know, cooped up, obviously, with the, with the coronavirus. And we just went on a, you know, an, an hour walk and run and just crazy what sunshine and flowers and everything will do to you, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think we all need to, wherever we can, get out. It's so important to kind of physically ground the experience that we're all having because, mm. let's face it, basically we're having this collective traumatic experience right now and our bodies are trying to process that on a daily basis. So, yeah, getting out, air, movement, I'm highly recommending that to everybody for sure. Definitely, definitely. Well, I know obviously, you know, you're a book author. You've led 20, about, you know, 2,000 groups in 25 countries. You've worked with 42 of the Fortune 100 companies with leadership consulting. I mean, what's your story? How did you really get into this place? Because I know that's not just a typical path you end up on, right? Yeah, no, for sure. You know, it's funny that, you know, you look back and you can see how the dots connect. But while I was going through the process, there was nothing straight line about it. Um, though, if I look back, what I do see is the common theme, and I think it's so important for anyone in any field that you're striving to, is you've got to have some passion and some juice about what it is you're focused about. And for me, the passion has always been around why do people do what they do? I am fascinated mm -hmm. by people, what makes us tick, why do we behave the way we do? And so that started when I was a kid. And when I got into college, I studied some psychology, but I was also really interested in theater. So I just got involved all, but the, so the common theme there is human behavior. So I actually went to grad school. I went to a liberal arts college and I went to grad school. I went to an acting conservatory and studied theater. And really in there, you're putting yourself under the microscope where your body as an actor, you're your own instrument. 
and realizing that you can mold and meld what you do in a way to create some kind of a reaction, which is exactly what leaders do. Mm. And by the way, when I say leader anywhere today on the podcast, I'm not talking about a job title or a position. I'm really talking about a state of mind and a state of being. The fact is anyone who wants to influence anyone else to get anything done is in a leadership role. And right, so all of us, doesn't matter who you are, where you are, you need to first of all lead yourself and then you wanna be able to lead others. And so for me, leadership, you have to recognize you are your own instrument. And I like to say that leadership is a performing art because ultimately we are judged not by what we think we do, but basically through our actions, which is what we say with our voices and our body language and what we do with our behavior and how we follow up. And so that's really what got me into this field. And then I started working with groups and I started to see these patterns of behavior emerge. And it wasn't just successful patterns. You know, you may have heard the phrase that success leaves clues and it's totally true. It does. But you know what? Mediocrity leaves clues too. I mean, the fact is you see consistent patterns of why are mediocre leaders mediocre and they do the same stuff over and over again. And so I started taking notes and hearing stories and the stories and the notes turned into blog posts. And those blog posts ended up turning into chapters. And so this book called Cracking the Leadership Code is now in some ways a distillation of a lot of the lessons that I've learned over the last 25 years. Because my hope and my goal with this is, you know, leadership doesn't need to be a mystery. Last time I checked the stats I've seen, only about 23% of people believe that the leaders that lead them lead well. Mm. That's a really low number, Chris. And so my goal is to help people to shorten their growth and to accelerate the learning curve. Because look, we have to all learn these things through experience. But I, you know, there are so many things that I've done in my life where I think, God, I wish someone had told me that there were better ways to do this. So I wouldn't have had to fall as deeply and as often into the same traps over and over again. So that's how I ended up where I was. Yeah, definitely. And you brought up some really good points there, obviously, of looking at successful people, you can kind of see their path. But also, I liked what you mentioned about like mediocrity, you can also see the path. And I think that can show like, okay, here's what you should do on this side. Yeah. And here's what you shouldn't do on that side. And you can kind of follow that. So obviously, I know you've consulted with some very, you know, high profile clients. Yep. You know, what, what was it like when you first dove into that space? Obviously, you can't just call, you know, Microsoft and say, hey, let me yeah. do this for you. You know, what was it like in the first couple of clients for this? Yeah. So it's interesting because I remember when I first started, so basically my role originally, so I was a business consultant. And I, when I started, I had zero business experience and I had zero consulting experience, right? And I remember I was at, and I had a call on VPs and directors and some CEOs of small and mid-sized companies at the time. And I was, you know, I was quivering. I was nervous mm. and I really didn't know what to do, but I had this great mentor named Sue. And she said, look, Alain, you don't need to know it all. I mean, that's not really the goal here as a consultant. What you need to do is learn it all, have this attitude of being as curious as you can. And what she did is she helped me to craft a template of great questions. And so, for example, I would meet with a client and one of my stock questions on the template was, what's the biggest challenge you or your team or your organization is facing right now? So I would have these questions like that and I would ask the question and then I would just shut up and listen. Mm -hmm. And the amazing thing, Chris, was how readily so many leaders were ready to just share with me. And then I could start to listen to what they said and then follow up. Like when, so when you say they're not communicating, tell me more about that, right? So I would probe deeper and, and they would tell me more. And then the more of these kind of calls that I would have, the more I'd start to recognize patterns and I'd be able to become more intuitive and be able to follow their lead instead of having to stick to my script, right? I like to say that, you know, anytime you're learning anything new, you know, you've got the, the tools and you kind of wear whatever tools you have. In my case, it was a question template. You wear the tools like a suit of armor and you're kind of walking around like a, you know, a suit of armor from King Arthur's court. And it's really rigid. But, you know, over time and over practice, you start to realize that these tools are just tools and you can start to become more fluid and flexible. But the way to do that is through practice. So putting yourself out there, whatever it is. So like say you want to grow your business and, and talk to customers, just talk to as many people as you can and be curious, ask those questions, follow up, build those relationships. I mean, there's so many things that can be practiced as opposed to thinking, oh, I'm just not good at that, right? It's if you're familiar with Carol Dweck, she's wrote this book called Mindset. Hmm. And there's this idea, the difference between a fixed mindset where you think, well, I'm good at this, I'm bad at that, you know, versus 
I can work hard at this, like what she calls a growth mindset, being much more flexible and fluid. And so actually, you know, Satya Nadella, the current CEO of Microsoft, when he came in in 2014, Microsoft was actually not doing very well. And he completely adopted this no, this moving from a know-it-all culture, because, you know, Microsoft, big egos, big company, you know, one of the most rich companies in the world. And the executive team would, did not collaborate at all. So he came in and said, we have to start with changing our culture by being curious. So I would say cultivating this sense of curiosity will go so far. You know, if you want to keep learning, you will. And if you think you know it all, you're toast. I mean, just look at how many people right now in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic are having to shift. I mean, I'm looking at my industry. I mean, 95% of my work before this was in person, right? Was so I'm going, I got to rethink this because everything I'm hearing is there will be no live events for the rest of 2020. So how am I going to pivot and shift? And what can I learn about more of coaching online? Because I was doing all this coaching and speaking and training consulting in person. Mm. Well, I'm going to have to start retooling myself to do that online. And there's some things that I know, and there's a lot that I don't know. So who knows what I need to know and be curious. And I think part of it is the willingness to get out of your own way and be humble about that too. It's like, okay, I can learn from somebody else. Yeah, those are some really good points. I, I liked what you mentioned about you gain confidence from just practicing your craft, picking up the phone, calling, emailing them, following up with a, with a meeting, whether it's virtual or in person. Um, so I really liked what you said there. Well, thanks. You know, here's the thing, just to build on that, Chris, mm. is, you know, and I do a lot of coaching with leaders about them getting up and speaking in front of groups. And again, my background, I trained as a professional actor. And what I see is most business professionals are totally under-rehearsed. What they don't realize is that if you want to communicate something well, it isn't about do you know your topic, right? So most people, like they, they might review their bullet points and go, I get it, I got it, good, let's go. Well, you know, that's just the thought. If you want to actually communicate that, especially verbally, but even in writing, you need to go through the ugly phase of getting that out there and putting those words and going, ah, that's a crappy first draft. I need to rework that and edit that and refine that. And most people, frankly, are under-rehearsed. And I would say, if you see people who are great at whatever they are, whether they're public speakers or leaders or writers, what you don't see are all the hours and hours behind the scenes of making it get that good. And that's the standard. And you know what? No one cares. No one wants to know that you spent hours and hours. That's for you to know because it matters to you. So that's something I definitely learned early on from a couple of mentors and have taken with me. So having that kind of a strong work ethic is huge. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I, and I just so, uh, heard that you mentioned, you know, the countless hours that, that people are putting in to really get to that successful point. I mean, what would you say out there just kind of advice wise for, for those who are just starting in business or starting their career and they're kind of playing the comparison game of, you know, how, why am I not there yet? And kind of kicking themselves in the foot. Like, how do you get past that? Yeah. So here's the thing. First of all, the comparison game, and I know, I know what it's like, and it's so easy to do today, particularly, right? So if you go to LinkedIn, start scrolling down, like I go oh, through yeah. LinkedIn and I get off LinkedIn, I'm like, why do I feel so horrible right now? It's because everyone is putting their best professional face forward. So here's the thing about comparisons. Realize that what you're comparing yourself to is you're using your entire 24-7, 365 life experience of you, and you're comparing that to some little sliver of somebody else. You know, whatever you pay, like, oh, look at that person. They're so successful. And it might be so sliver as like, look at the car they drive. And you project all this other stuff onto the rest of their 24-7, 365. You don't have a clue as to what their life is really like. You know, so to me, it comes back to what are your values? Like, what's mm -hmm. really important to you? And getting really clear on that. I know that for me, just to like be totally transparent, for a lot of my life, money, in fact, it still is true. Money is not the driver for me. You know, I'm... I have enough and that's fine, but I made some serious choices. So when I met my wife before we were married, we were living in New York City and I said, you know, New York is great, but to have the lifestyle that I wanted here, I would need to be earning like literally $1.5, $2 million a year to be able to afford that. Mm. And I thought, yeah, I could work to do that, but why? So we made some choices to move elsewhere where the cost of living was less. And at the same time around my work, I made some choices. I could work, which would take more time used up and I'd earn more money, but I could work less and I'd have more time. And so I made the choice to actually work less and have some more time. And then my, my son, who's now almost 16, when he was born, I took three months off from work 
you know, unpaid. I was like, work my daughter, same thing with three years later. So, you know, and I'm not saying this, that everyone should do that. If that's not your value, don't do it. But for me, putting my family first was really important, you know, and that may not be the case for everybody. Um, you know, this book, I'm 51 right now. This book has just come out. You know, some people said you could have wrote this book 20 years ago. I was like, yeah, you know, but I was busy with the family. I was busy doing other stuff. Um, so, you know, it's really easy to put yourself out there on this timeline and this curve that you should be this way. And I think the sooner that you focus on what are my core values and working towards that, then when you wake up in the day, you're not distracted. You know, I can, I can spend hours on social media and get really depressed and get all comparative. And then, you know what, those two hours, I could have been writing a blog post mm -hmm. or working on a chapter of my book or doing something productive. So think about what's gonna give you some oomph to grow and develop yourself today as opposed to going, you know, I'm not there yet. Don't, you don't control the timeline. You know, you put out the best version of you and I'm a big believer in, you just keep doing it. And I have also found that when you do that, the rewards will come but they will never come from the place that you think they do. I don't know about your experience, Chris, with work and whatnot, but the jobs that have landed in my lap never came from the places that I hustled. I mean, I hustled and I tried to get these things and I got a, sorry, no thanks. And then out of the blue, I'd get this phone call of, hey, this person said I should talk to you, which turned into, you know, this multi-year giant thing, right? So you don't know where those things are going to come from. What you can control is, you know, what's my work ethic? What's my mm. character? How do I do great work? Because look, if you don't do great quality work, that is a huge limit to growth. So be the best at whatever it is you do and find out ways to get better at it and never settle and keep growing because the bar is going to keep going up. So yeah, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox on that one now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I totally agree with the, uh, you know, being open to growing. I think that goes back to the mindset that you mentioned a little bit earlier about always being open to learning, having yeah. a curious mindset. Um, I, I know you mentioned really about, you know, finding your values and principles. Um, I actually just read uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Fantastic um, book. Great book. And I know the author, um, Stephen Covey, mentions, mentions that so much. Like, what would you suggest out there? Because I know people who are 18 who haven't really found their principles and values. And I know people who are 60, 70 and really haven't found them either. So what totally. are some like steps to start to find like your true values and principles in life? Okay, great question. So first thing I would say is find other people who you think have some clear values and ask them what they did. It's really hard to do this in isolation and alone. I'm a huge believer in personal development as well as professional development and personal growth and doing what you can. And I don't think that is just done, you know, in your room with a book by itself. So getting yourself out to organizations, people, whoever it is, mentors, and asking people, what is that about? I mean, there's a lot of online stuff. I mean, if you want, you can go through, there's like a series of, of values that people can go through. You can like pull out like 50 values and you can circle the ones that are most important to you. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to do it. I mean, for me, um, one of the things, and I was got involved with an organization early on that helped me to discover what my personal life mission was. And I actually did this work when I was 26. So this is yeah, 26 years old. So we're talking 25 years ago. And it's interesting because what I came out of that work, that mission, and um, was that my mission is to create a more vibrant, alive world by kindling the fire of brilliance in people. Mm -hmm. And what's so cool is I'm really still aligned with that mission. Now, some people's missions will change over time. You know, we all have different seasons in life. Mine has stayed the same. But what I would suggest is a, an easy place to start. And when I say easy, I'm not saying it's going to like be two seconds. But, you know, I think for one thing that's going to help you to discover your values quiet the outside world. And this may be a really good time to do that while you're shut in, but yeah. you know, get some quiet time with yourself and, you know, and get out and I'll even say, if you can go old school, you know, big yellow pad and a pencil, you know, and just sit there and just wait and listen. And then, you know, or put on the top, like what's really important to me and, you know, sit with that question for a while, you know, mm -hmm. and then you can start seeing what comes out of that. So seeing what comes. And then another way to frame that, if that question doesn't work, is what's my vision of the world, right? So if I could imagine the world where everyone's needs were met, what would that picture of that world look like? And if you're a painter, paint the picture, you know, get out paints and do it. You know, if you're a poet, write poems, you know, if you're just writing prose, but to come up with a sense, a vision of the world, 
Okay. And if you can then create that vision of what you want the world to look like, then the next step is what do you see yourself doing in the world to make that vision a reality? So for me, the vision was I saw this vibrant, alive world where people were connected and passionate and they were honest and open and vulnerable and authentic and just being really real with each other. And I thought, okay, so what am I doing to make that happen? So for me, it's, you know, it's slightly metaphoric. It's kindling the fire of brilliance of people. So for me, that's turned into teaching and writing and coaching and facilitating. So it's like vision plus the action creates the mission. And I think, you know, feel free. So that's, that for me is the kind of the mission formula, vision, right, is the vision. And you probably heard like a vision with no action is a daydream. An action with no vision is drudgery, right? So yeah. many people like, I'm going back to work today. I just because, you know, so many people are in these jobs and I've met so many in the corporate world who are doing this thing because they've decided that they have to buy into the like mainstream American life. And now they've got three cars and four car loans and, you know, mortgage and this and like I've got it I can't and they're on this wheel and they have not stopped to ask themselves why is this important now what I love personally and again I'm 51 a lot of the work that I've done with people Gen Y and Gen Z is I think people are questioning those values because that was such a strong value for boomers and Gen X like we got to go we got this is what we do we got to keep the economy humming and I know that people I mean that's important and finding your own path because let's face it if you don't know what you want to do with your life, someone else will be very happy to fit you in as a supporting player in their role, right? As I like to say, you know, your email inbox is a very handy organizing tool for other people's agendas, right? So realizing, so you really need to take control about what that is. And that also means saying no to a lot of stuff. Like what's mm. like, stop doing the stupid stuff. That's just not serving you and not serving the world. So, and it's hard to say no. It takes courage to say no to things. Yeah, those are some really good points. I, I liked what you mentioned about the, uh, just like the corporate world, you know, the hamster wheel. That's, I mean, I see a lot of that and stuff that totally. I do. And it's like, you know, are you really fulfilling your, your, you know, vision and values that you have, or are you just trying to get the next car and the next house? So. Oh yeah. And I see a lot of people who are quote unquote successful. And when we say successful, let's say, let's face it, like that's code for wealthy, right? It's like, they've made a lot of money. Like that is one measure of success. It is not the only measure, but I see these people, you know, and they are successful. And I work with like high, high level CEOs, miserable, miserable people. Like their kids have grown up. They don't even know who they are or what they do. They've never been to a parent-teacher conference in their life. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, whatever. I mean, again, choices. It all boils down to choices. I'm not here to judge anyone else for their things. But when I see people who work so hard and are so miserable, it makes my heart break a little bit, you know, because it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, I agree. I think you can have that happy medium. And that's just going back to, you know, actually finding your values and your principles in life. Um, and, and you mentioned that uh, statement earlier. You said it was vision plus action equals mission, right? You got it. You got okay. it. Yeah. Vision plus action equals mission. And you need all, both parts. I love that. And I think I, I liked what you mentioned, too, about finding your own path. Would you say that also goes back to like being open to learning, having experiences? Like, do you think that plays a lot into finding your own path as well? Oh, completely. I mean, you know, part of finding your own, it's hard to, if, if all you know is a very narrow band of experience, it's how you're going to find like what works for you. I mean, I'm sure you know people. I remember some people when I went to college, it's like they decided, they, they showed up to college on the first day as freshmen, like, yeah, I'm here and then I'm going to go to med school. I'm like, wow, like you are so on it. Like, how do you know? He's like, well, my parents are both doctors. So that's what, like, again, it's the family business. And I'm, again, that might work for some people. But, you know, again, what's great about the internet is we can have the world come through an internet connection. And like, we have exposure and access to so many things and different people now. So take advantage of that. You can learn so much about so much just from, from the front of your laptop. So yeah, being open to experience and then trying stuff out and going, you know what? I'm here to learn. I'm here to curious. I'm not committing to this right now because let's face it, there's no such thing as a permanent anything anymore, it seems, career-wise. And so you're welcome to try things. And if they don't work, you go, you know? Now, it's funny. I say that on the one hand. I also want to kind of give a little asterisk, caution to that, because there's also something to be said, I think, for a certain level of perseverance and sticking to stuff. Because, mm. you know, you can try stuff and like, oh, this didn't work out. Well, I'm going to jump ship and try something else. I mean, sometimes you just got to go through the crappy parts. And so, so, and 
here's the thing is, as I say both those things, I realize that's a bit of a paradox, right? So on the one hand, I'm saying, be open, learn, like shift, pivot. On the other hand, stick to it. So it sounds like I'm saying, you know, go for black, but go for white. The fact is, if you think of it as black and white, it is. So it's more of a sense of how can you embrace paradox? How can you deal with ambiguity? And that's why having that set of core values is so important. You know, and the fact is, you're going to make mistakes. I've made tons of mistakes, you know, where there are people that I should have stayed in touch with that I didn't stay in touch with. There's times where I got so focused on work that I like neglected my health. I mean, Mm. yeah, I mean, there are things that will happen, but that's all part of the richness. And, you know, like when the mistake happens, how do you go, okay, what's the learning in this? You know, I paid some tuition in the school of life. (laughs) Like, like, let's, let's try, you know, and learn from that. And that's where you grow. So it isn't neat and it's messy. I mean, anyone that tells you it's not messy is lying. I mean, it's messy and you fall down a lot. But the goal is to, to get up more times than you fall down and keep going. Yeah, I agree. And I think just like you mentioned, being open to the, to the failure that's happening, you know, that's a really good point. Totally. Yeah. So let's, uh, let, let's talk more into like leadership and everything. Cause I know that's yeah. obviously your main, your main bread and butter. Sure, um, yeah. also I think you just added like a ton of value, uh, into the overall perspective of finding your value, finding your purpose. So to the listeners out there, just some action steps, you know, take, take some time to really resonate on, on why you are in this world. You know, I, I really liked what you mentioned about if everyone had their needs met, what would the world look like? And then taking that next question and asking yourself, what can I do to make that happen and contribute? So to the listeners out there, definitely want to encourage y'all uh, to start diving into that because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be doing that myself. Um, but on to some more of the leadership because I know obviously that's, uh, that's kind of like your specialty. Sure. And I, would, and, I would, and I would offer is instead of a but, more of an and because the mm. fact is to me, what we, and, and by the way, that's a little hint for all of us is that if you're going to like come in and somebody's like, Hey, I know you're saying this, but it's like, is that's a really easy switch. They're like, I know you're saying this and right. So going, saying both and instead of either or, but, because when we say, but in the middle of a sentence, it's like we're negating the thing that came before. So thanks for letting me do a little on the spot coaching with you, Chris, on that one. So, (laughs) So, and I say that because, and what we just talked about, about finding your values and getting clear on your core purpose to me, that is the basis of leadership. It isn't some side note. It actually Without that, it's really hard to do the rest of it. So, and so let's continue, Chris. Sorry to so jump an, in on the on, the, on that. Use an and instead of exactly, a but, right? exactly. Use an and instead of a but. It's very gotcha. powerful. Well, well, you got my email. If you need to invoice me for on the spot coaching, <laughs> 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 oh, this is good. Hopefully, <laughs> um, but yeah, no. You mentioned uh, when we first started, uh, yeah. on, only twenty three percent of people think that their leaders are leading well. So. Yeah. With that said, like, I mean, what are some common assumptions about leadership that can get you into trouble? Yeah. So I would say all the common assumptions that get leaders into trouble all fall under one category. Um, and the category, well, I'll share some, some statements, some belief statements that a lot of mediocre leaders have. They think, oh, I'm the boss or I'm in charge. Like, it's my job to tell you what to do. It's my job to figure this out. It's my job to solve the problem. You notice how in the middle of all those statements, that puts the, it's, it's very, they're very leader centric. They're very, I'll call it ego centric. So I think the biggest challenge for us as leaders moving forward is how do you let go of the leader as the commander, the leader as controller? Because the frankly, and, and the book goes into this in great detail in the first section, which is called context, that mindset is a stale holdover from the industrial age mindset. If you think back to the early, early 20th century, late 19th century, so we're talking, you know, 1890s through 1910s, almost all work as we know it, organized work was in a factory. Hmm. And so at the time, 95% of the employees were doing factory labor, like on the assembly line, like working in the widget factory, making widgets, you know, Ford Motor Company, making the Model T Ford, Ford didn't change. And the goal for leadership at the time was command and control. They didn't want people thinking. They wanted people just to shut up and do what they were told because mm. it, was this, it was mindless, repetitive, manual labor. That may have worked up to a point. It doesn't work anymore. Look, no one has very, I should say very, very few people have jobs that are just mindless, repetitive like that. All of us have to think for a living. And so last time I checked, there's not a single person who wants a leader to micromanage them. There's not a single person who wants to be told, 
because I'm your boss. That's why. I mean, look, it didn't work for us when we were teenagers, right? Because I'm your mom or I'm your dad. So you do what I, you know, as long mm-hmm. as you're under my roof, I mean, you know that as soon as you can, you're going to rebel and get the hell out of there, right? So same is true. Like if we operate from this assumption that we are in charge and you work for me, you've got the pyramid flipped wrong way. I mean, if the goal of leadership is to help other people to do their best and to be their best. And so instead of thinking of it as I'm in charge, no, actually, what if I thought of it as I'm here to serve the people that are in my charge and to figure out what are the best ways for me to do that, which means being much less of a commander and a controller and much more of a facilitator. And a lot of us don't have a lot of good modeling of what this facilitative style leadership is all about. And Cracking the Leadership Code, the book, is really, and the subtitle, by the way, is Three Secrets to Building Strong Leaders. And that book is really designed to show off this new model of facilitative leadership, that at its core, those three secrets are that what great facilitative leaders do is they connect, they communicate, and they collaborate. Because at the end of the day, I don't care what industry you are in, right? You can be working in finance, you can be working in pharmaceuticals, you can be working in tech. You are in the people business, every single business. That's the common denominator. We all are dealing with people. And what can you do to work as effectively as possible with them? And that's to me, is the art and the craft of leadership. Because at its core, leadership isn't that job, it isn't that control, it isn't the power. Leadership is a relationship. And it's a, it's a relationship that a follower chooses on a daily basis to either opt into or opt out of, right? If you've ever had experience of working with a crappy boss anywhere, you know that you only give so much just to get by and you give nothing beyond that. So anyway, that's kind of where I'd get to. Those are the biggest assumptions that people have or that get in their way when they're leading is that mindset and that attitude. Yeah, for sure. That's that's interesting. You bring up like the whole industrial like revolution side of things because I think there's so many leaders, like you mentioned, still stuck in that mindset, unfortunately. Yeah. And the thing is, and how can you move into the future if you don't know where your past came from? So for me, for us to understand where we come from, and it isn't just that. I mean, beyond that too, is our expectations as employees have totally changed. See, back in the 1910s and 1920s, you had a crappy job. You didn't have a whole lot of choice. I mean, Mm -hmm. today with the internet and transparency, I mean, we've got LinkedIn, we've got Glassdoor, Everyone knows where the grass is greener and no one's afraid to hop the fence. I mean, the most recent studies of the Bureau of Labor Statistics say that people between the ages of 18 and 35 only expect to be in their current jobs no more than three and a half years on average. So look, no one's expecting to stick around for, for years and years. And so if we're not afraid to hop the fence, as a leader, I have to have some really engaging value proposition to keep people engaged. And the number one reason that people are giving as to why they leave their jobs and are looking for work, it's the inability to learn and grow. So what can I do to help develop people? It's like so many people today, and by the way, 59% of the workforce currently are Gen Y and Gen Z, right? And Mm -hmm. so you're hungry to wanna keep learning and growing. And if you're not learning and growing, you're like, I'm out of here. I'm gonna go somewhere else, right? So. Yeah, that's a good point. I read something on uh, on LinkedIn the other day. It was like, uh, it, it was a millennial who wrote it and, and he was like, you know, pe- millennials aren't leaving their jobs because they naturally want to switch. They're leaving their jobs because they can't learn and grow as much as they desire. So I think that totally. kind of backs up what you said. Totally. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, what I love about the fact that, and I've seen this in a lot, I work with some of the big consulting companies and some of their business model for years was churn and burn, right? They would hire a whole lot of people and they'd work them really hard for a few years. And they'd know that a bunch would quit, but that if the people that would kind of basically put up and shut up and keep their heads now, down and keep going, they might make it to manager, senior manager, and partner one day. And that was the, the, the brass ring at the end. Mm. Well, what I love is that the millennials came along and they were like, I'm not going to play by these stupid rules. I'm not going to waste my life just for a gold watch and a fancy car. And so they had to start rethinking their whole business model. And that has trickled out to so much of our economy now is it recognizing that you've got to have a way more interesting thing than just because I say so. Um, so yeah, totally right, Chris, on that one. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So how important do you think uh, emotional intelligence is when it comes to leadership? My gosh, it's the most important thing. I mean, I think this is a really good time to take a look at that. So I always say that like um, being a human-centered leader was always important, 
But think about it right now in the middle of this kind of shut-in, shelter-at-home coronavirus pandemic. I mean, the fact is, the first thing, I mean, and this isn't just me saying so, by the way, this is actually how our bodies are wired. This is our biology. And so there's a model, I'll try to be simple with this, but there's like a three parts to our brain, right? There's the oldest part of the brain is called the reptilian brain. That's the part that controls all of the autonomic nervous systems, right? Your heart rate, your breathing, your digestion, you have to think about it much. Then you've got your limbic system, which controls emotions. And then you've got your neocortex, right? And so the thing, why emotion and intelligence is so important is because those older parts of the brain, whenever there's anything that triggers strong emotion, like a pandemic, for example, they go into total fight or flight and freeze mode, where mm. basically they start running the show. I'm sure a lot of listeners have found over the last couple of weeks, you're probably going, holy crap, I am so unproductive and distracted and it's so hard to focus. And I'm like, I'm, needing to, I'm tired and I need to sleep. Yeah, you know why? It's because your brain is really smart and it's trying to protect you. And so the only way to be able to get your neocortex, your thinking brain back online is for your nervous system to be able to calm down. Well, there's a lot of unknowns right now. Why the heck should we calm down knowing you know, there's a part of us? So this is where leaders come in and emotional intelligence comes in. Because if leaders are empathetic, let's say I was your, your, your boss at work, Chris, and I just like, so, so we're now working remotely, we're home, and I said, so Chris, how are you feeling today? And I just shut up and listen, let you talk, right? And it's like, so Chris, what's on your mind? What's distracting you? You know, maybe you've got elderly parents who are shut in. Maybe, who knows? You, what, it doesn't matter. I have to listen to what you have to say. Hmm. And they say, so Chris, how can I support you? Like hmm. right now, if I can ask you those questions and you can speak up and be honest and vulnerable, and I can be vulnerable with you, that will quiet your nervous system down and give you some relief because what all of us are going through right now is a crazy, crazy experience of life. And so the act of emotionally intelligent, empathetic listening basically normalizes people's experience of this collective experience we're having, this trauma. And so then we can go, oh gosh, I'm not crazy. I'm, so yeah, I'm not sleeping. You're not sleeping too? God, that makes sense now. I feel so much better. So then you don't feel so alone. Because I think, you know, they talk about you know, prisoners of war that were in solitary confinement, they said that was worse than anything else. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny, you know, we're calling this social distancing. You know, we should call it physical distancing because at our core, what everyone needs at a certain level is connection. Mm -hmm. And so emotional intelligence and empathy is the basis of human connection. And without a connection, how are you going to lead? You know, which goes back to the old saying, you may have heard this, right? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So particularly now, but always, you know, in general, but really, really right now, you know, caring and being emotionally intelligent, which by the way, the definition of emotional intelligence has to do with, do you first of all understand what an emotion feels like and can you express it? Can you say like, hmm, I'm feeling angry right now. Believe it or not, there's a lot of people that can't actually notice their internal state and name it. And then it's, are you responsive? Oh, wow, Chris's face. He looks angry. Hey, Chris, are you okay? Mm. Like, like that I can see that on your face and I can actually name it and do something with it as opposed to going, you know, you know, some people we know, they're just, we could call them tone deaf. They just don't quite get the impact they're having in other people. So having those skills is important as a leader. And by the way, the higher you go in any organization, the more important those skills become because the higher you go in any organization, the less it's about your technical and functional skills. It's more about your people skills. How do you lead other people? How do you get people to do stuff, right? So that's where it gets. So yeah, emotional intelligence, it's absolutely the most important thing. Yeah, and, and mixing that too with, uh, with what you mentioned on empathy, I think that's, that's really crucial as well. Yeah, it's a key ingredient. Yeah, so it's, it sounded like you started to bring up like, some workplace culture techniques. I mean, what are some ways that companies can instill just a very strong workplace culture? Yeah. So in terms of, you want to instill a good, if you want to instill a strong workplace culture in the places around you, the first thing to recognize, the most important thing that you can do is look in the mirror and go, mm. who am I and how am I showing up? Because the fact is what you model in your behavior sends a way more important message than anything you will say and you do. I mean, I'll just give an example. I mean, you know that in the US right now, there's all of this confusion about the fact that you've got 50 states and some people are doing social distancing, some people are not, depending on the state they're in. And, and then just in terms of the clear mixed messages. So for example, 
if let's say we all agree and we don't necessarily agree, but let's say if we all agree that social distancing means that we should be spending, we should be at least six feet apart from each other. Wouldn't it make sense that political leaders, when they're announcing that to be the case, when they're all standing up there on the podium, that they're standing six feet apart, right? So what's the message? If you're all standing shoulder to shoulder and you're telling us that we should stand six feet apart. I mean, to me, that's just one of those shake my head moments because it's so, that's like, to me, that's leadership 101. It's like, mm. it's not do as I say, it's do as I do. You know, Albert Schweitzer, who won two Nobel Prizes, said, example is not the main thing in influencing others. It's the only thing. And so the first thing you want to do around creating a culture, a high, you know, a high performance workplace culture is understanding I've got to model what it is it is that I want to create. And then I'd go into connection. And we talked about the importance of being human-centered and being empathetic. The other thing, and this goes into modeling behavior, is what's your credibility like? So here, for listeners, here's a really simple tip that you can use tomorrow if you want to increase your credibility. And I would say it is probably the most important thing you can do for your credibility. Here it comes. It's really simple. Show up on time. Boom, mm. there you go. It's that simple and it's that important. Because if you stop and think about it, Chris, being on time, being present or absent is the easiest thing in the world to measure, right? Mm. I think it was Woody Allen, the comedian, once said like 80% of life is showing up. I mean, the fact is, if you're here, it says something. If you're not here, it says something, right? And yeah. so yeah, you can come up with a story. Oh, the traffic was this. Oh, this client call and you know, whatever. You know, at the end of the day, it's a story. Like you made a promise you did or you didn't follow through. So showing up on time, because really, you know, for anyone who strives to grow their leadership personally, professionally, this is all about understanding is what's the reputation that you're putting out there in the world. Mm. You know, I like to say your reputation is what people say about you when you're not in the room. Yeah. So what's the reputation you want people to know? I mean, I want my clients to be able to set a watch by me. And you know what? I show up to meetings on time all, not, I want to say all the time. I screw up sometimes. And when I do, I own it. But here's the, the thing. When I'm there, and I used to, you know, when I learned this, and by the way, everything I'm sharing today, I learned from mentors. So mm. a mentor taught me this whole thing about showing up on time. And I remember showing up, and at the beginning, you know, it was a hard habit to get into because it wasn't my natural thing. I used to either like show up just on time. Like I was always running late just to get there on time. It's really stressful. And I shift that, shifted that around. And then I'd show up on time, and the person I was meeting was not there. Mm. When that started, Chris, I was pissed off. I was like, come on, I'm here on time. I'm here. And then I got to this place probably a year or so later after this whole thing. And I started to make peace with it because I realized I'm not showing on time for them. I'm showing up on time for me mm. because this is about the kind of person I'm going to be. You know, I think so much of leadership development and building your character is what do you do when no one else is watching? Mm. Because that's when you start to flex and strengthen those muscles. Because when you are in a crisis, you can't start to show up and suddenly be somebody that you haven't been practicing for years and years. You know, it's just not going to happen. You know, I'll just be totally transparent and a little, very honest about this. So this is obviously something that's really important to me. Now I have an older brother. This is not important to him. Now I've made peace with the fact that he is not a stay in touch kind of guy. Mm. And I've just let go of that because if I didn't, I'd get really frustrated. Well, you know, with this whole pandemic, my mom, who's 85, is in lockdown and assisted living. My brother lives up the road from her. I'm across the ocean. And he, he asked, she asked him if he'd call her every day. Well, he did for two days in a row, but he couldn't keep it going because it's not a muscle he's exercised. Mm. You know, and I could, you know, I use his an, ex an example around showing up on time. I mean, I could look at, for me, one of the things I struggle with is going to sleep early on a consistent basis. So that's one that I struggle with. So, you know, we all have our struggles. I'm not trying to throw my brother under the bus. Yeah, what yeah. I'm getting at, what I'm getting at here is you need to practice things and be intentional and pick something small and work at it one thing at a time to become so until it becomes automatic. And the way you choose of what to focus on is ask yourself what's most important. Mm. Which goes back to our values conversation from earlier. Yeah, I was about to say, I think that I think that goes back to the values conversation for yeah. sure. For sure. What's uh, just over the years, obviously, with your growth, I mean, what's like a big learning lesson that you've faced, whether it's the, like a failure, or adversity, something that like you've really learned? Yeah, so a lesson I learned along the way has basically is that being vulnerable is incredibly powerful as a leadership strategy. Mm. And I learned that lesson from being cursed out in front of a room of 300 people. So I'll tell you the story. So I was working in Chicago with a group of 300 flight attendants. 
and I was kicking off this customer service training. So before it got started, I had welcomed people in. I was going around the room, mixing and mingling, yada, yada, right? Doing all that. And I went up to one of the tables and they said, yeah, we just flew in from Japan. We're based there. So if the Asian table up here falls asleep in this morning, don't take it personally. We're just joking. It was fine. So they said that. I met some other people. So when we actually kicked the thing off, I went up on stage. I said, good morning, everyone. Welcome to our customer service training. I know you've flown in from around the world. We have people from the UK. We have people um, from Europe. We have people um, from the US. We've got the Asian table up here in the front. And so I kept going on and on. And then about five minutes in, I knew I'd be interrupted by a marching band that was going to come in and pick up the energy at the big conference, right? 300 people. So this is going on. And so the marching band is in and this guy, two tables back, raises his hand. And I come over to him. I said, yes, can I help you? And he says, who the F do you think you are? Except he didn't say F. He actually, like, I'm like, I'm sorry. Like totally out of, like, you call yourself a leader? What are you, some kind of racist? I'm like, what? What, what is he saying? Like, I'm like, literally my mind is going crazy at this point. He's like, you are a effing racist. I'm like, what? He's like, you call them the Asian table? You wouldn't call the other table the N-word table, only he didn't say the N-word. He actually said the N-word, right? Oh, and then he went on and on. He was like ranting at me for like 30 seconds, cursing and calling me this racist and what, who let me in charge and all this stuff. And I managed to get myself out of there. And I went to the back of the room where my colleague, Cynthia, who's the designer I was working with for this brand new program, said, Cynthia, um, the band, the marching band's gonna finish in like three minutes. And that guy up there just cursed the hell out of me. I have no idea what comes next. What's happening? And she said, we're in Chicago with flight attendants. You're doing a customer service training. <laughs> okay. Ugh. So I had like a minute to kind of figure out what the heck I was going to do next. And so all I could think was, well, I, the guy is totally off base, but I can try to see where he's coming from. Maybe that was not the best way I could have said that. So I went, okay, got it. So I went up to the front and the band stopped. And I really had no idea what I was going to say. Right? I hadn't planned anything. So I couldn't really speak from my head. I had to speak from my heart. And what I basically said to everyone was, folks, before we go on, I just need to stop because I screwed up. Mm -hmm. And a little while ago, I said something that some people found offensive. And that was not my intention. And I'm really, really, really sorry. I don't know what I can do to make it up to you. What I'm happy to do is talk to anyone about what happened or anything else and just want to let you know that I'm really sorry. And, you know, in my mind, that was like the worst thing ever, right? Because I think of myself like racist. That's like the furthest thing. I think of myself as a super conscientious person. And yeah. somehow I just felt like I needed to name it because at least 75 people around him had seen this whole thing go on mm. while this was happening. And the amazing thing out of this, Chris, was not so much in the moment, but over the next two days, I can't tell you, it must've been like 20 or 30 people came over to me and said, hey, I just want to tell you something. I come to a lot of these kind of trainings and mostly I feel like they're just a lot of corporate propaganda. Um, but the fact is when you were that genuine and honest with us, I totally felt connected with you and I was totally tuned in for the next few days. And like 20 or 30 people came up to me and I went, wow, because I guess what I hadn't realized is how much of a shield I had been carrying up to this point and really letting people see my flaws and being that level of honest. So that's a lesson I would share is just, you know, don't be afraid to be genuinely, genuinely human. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point. I bet that took a lot of nerve to go up there and just fully <laughs> apologize to. <laughs> totally, totally did. That's crazy. That's crazy. That I got cursed out on something with work a while back on the phone and it was just me and him. And yeah. I was freaking out in my head because this is like a very important meeting. And yeah. I can't even imagine how I'd be thinking during that. Yeah, because the, the, your instinct is the walls to go up, right? You get totally uh, defensive. And it's like, as a leader, it's like getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Can you step into the fear and know, ah, this? I don't want to do this, and I need to do this. Sometimes mm -hmm. what I, I literally imagine myself in those in, uncomfortable moments, that like someone is sticking their thumb in between the back of my shoulder blades. Like, go, like, push me forward, push. Yeah. Because like, someone needs to do something. And I realize, oh, that's someone? That's me. And I think that's a big part of leadership is, you know, like for right now, all of us listening to this, like there are people who are shut in, who are having a really hard time. Like you could think, well, someone should do something for those people. Like, well, someone should, what can I do? You know? Mm -hmm. So one thing I started doing, like with my, with my community, my professional, my personal community is I've been holding online zoom, like I'm calling them like group coaching, you know, 
open hours, connect, communicate, collaborate, come in with a problem, come in to connect, because that's something that I can do. There's not a whole lot I, you know, I'm not a first line responder, but I know how to hold space for people going through stuff. So that's what I'm doing right now for an hour a day. Yeah, definitely. I think that goes back to what you mentioned of if everyone had their needs met, what can I do on my end to make that, whether it's a Zoom call, helping somebody out. So yeah, that's really, I actually saw that you posted that on LinkedIn. So that's really cool that you're doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's tell the listeners about your book. I know cracking the leadership code. I, I mean, it just came out. So I'd love for you to just kind of take the floor on that. Yeah, sure. So the book is called cracking the leadership code. Yeah. It was actually the number one Amazon new release under business communication for like two, for the whole time it ran as a new release, which it no longer is, but it's still wow. a pretty new book. This came out two weeks ago. So yeah, if you want to find out more about the book, it go to www.crackingtheleadershipcode.com. You can learn all about the book. You can actually download chapter one while you're there. And so you can get a little preview and taste of the book, get a sense of that. And from that page, it'll also link to my webpage, which is my name, alanhunkins.com, which I won't try to spell because crackingleadershipcode.com is way easier to spell. <laughs> um, so you can go there. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn and you can learn more about my work. I do obviously individual and group and team and organizational uh, training, coaching, consulting, and speaking. And obviously I'm doing all that online now. So the great thing about that is I can connect with anyone anywhere. So if people have questions, do reach out and let me know. Uh, for sure. Thank you so much for, for taking the time. Obviously, sitting down on the Next Level Minds podcast. And I'll make sure to put your book uh, in the show notes just so all the listeners can kind of have access to it. What is, uh, before we leave, if you had to have one word to describe success, what would that be? Wow, that's a great question. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to come up with a good one. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm going to put a hyphen, creative use of hyphenation on this one because um, two words came up. Um, grateful, humble. Mm, grateful, grateful, humble. humble. I feel like that's a good place to start from. And because uh, then like, then you have place to keep filling from. So, Yeah, for sure. Well, hey, thanks again. I know we're on like a time change and I uh, yeah. really just appreciate you sitting down with me today. You got it, Chris. It's been a super, super pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much. Oh, for sure. Well, that's it, guys. Thanks again for taking the time to tune in to this week's episode of Next Level Minds. Just want to say that I really appreciate every one of you's support. And I just want to remind everyone out there, if you haven't, take the time to subscribe on Apple Podcast and leave a quick review as well. And as we like to say here, your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success.